I'm Tracy Sable tonight on EWTN News Nightly. Vowing revenge, Iran-backed rebels respond following a joint military strike by the United States and United Kingdom. We're at the White House. Threat from China. Beijing issues more troubling words as voters in Taiwan head to the polls tomorrow in a presidential election. We have analysis from Gordon Chang. And hitting the roof. Another milestone in the rebuilding of Notre Dame Cathedral. We'll explain. These stories and more tonight. From EWTN, the Global Catholic Network, this is EWTN News Nightly. Thank you for being with us on the Feast of St. Margaret Bourgeois. Our top story tonight, the U.S. launches military strikes against Houthi rebels. The bombardment comes in response to Houthi drone and missile attacks on commercial ships in the Red Sea. President Joe Biden says that he will not hesitate to go after them again in order to save lives and to protect commerce. White House correspondent Owen Jensen reports. Tracy, the U.S. missile strike, including air, ship, and submarine-launched munitions, took aim at the Houthis' command and control nodes, munition depots, launching systems, production facilities, and air defense radar systems. This operation comes as the United States is trying to keep the war between Israel and Hamas from expanding. Just hours after the U.S. pounded the Houthis in Yemen, this video released by Houthi-run TV, President Joe Biden headed to Pennsylvania to promote Bidenomics. At one small business, he told reporters the strike was a success. I don't think there's any civilian casualties. That's another reason why it's a success. The president also said the U.S. and its allies will keep striking the Houthis if they continue what he calls their outrageous behavior. And when asked about Iran, which backs the Houthis, he said Iran does not want a war with the U.S. I've already delivered the message to man. They know I'm not to do anything. But he earlier wrote, at my direction, U.S. military forces, together with the United Kingdom and with support from Australia, Bahrain, Canada, and the Netherlands, successfully conducted strikes against a number of targets in Yemen used by Houthi rebels to endanger freedom of navigation in one of the world's most vital waterways. The Pentagon says the Houthis were warned. The international community had provided multiple warnings. Uh, and last night we, we took action. This video showing the USS Dwight D. Eisenhower in action, launching military jets as part of the strike. National Security Council spokesman John Kirby says the operation was done in self-defense and went after valid targets. We have no doubt that the targets chosen uh, were targets that were meant specifically to degrade the Houthis' ability to launch uh, drones to launch missiles, to store them, um, and, and other capabilities that they would have, including, for instance, uh, their radar sites, to, to be able to guide these missiles uh, into targets. And Kirby says the Houthis, who are vowing retaliation, have a choice to make. They need to know that we will stand fully prepared uh, to defend ourselves and defend that shipping if it comes to it. Since the war between Israel and Hamas began, the Houthis have launched at least 27 attacks against commercial shipping. President Biden says, quote, the response of the international community to these reckless attacks has been united and resolute. At the White House, Owen Jensen, EWTN News Nightly. Now to The Hague and the International Court of Justice, where Israel rejected allegations of genocide in the war in Gaza. The entirety of its case hinges 
on a deliberately curated, decontextualized, and manipulative description of the reality of current hostilities. It is day two of the case brought by South Africa. They hope to convince the U.N.'s highest court to halt Israel's military campaign by issuing provisional measures. The conflict began on October 7th when Hamas broke through the border, killing some 1,200 people and kidnapping about 250. In the time that Israel has retaliated, the Hamas-run health ministry says more than 23,000 people, mostly women and children, have been killed. In the midst of the fighting, Hamas is believed to be still holding about 100 hostages, a fact that family members do not want the Israeli government to forget. This was a scene today at a march in southern Israel, ahead of the war's 100-day mark. Relatives and supporters of the hostages wanted to bring attention to those still in captivity. And for more, I want to bring in Liran Berman. His twin brothers were abducted by the terrorists who overran Kibbutz Kafar Azar on October 7th. Uh, Liran, thank you for your time today. And first off, I just want to say we're so sorry for everything that you're going through. I want to ask how you and your family are doing right now. Uh, it's been difficult, and we are approaching the 100-day uh, milestone, sadly. Um, there are no good days, there are okay days, uh, but we are so focused on the goal. Uh, we are focused on, on releasing my brothers and releasing all the hostages. We don't look to the sides, we can't listen to the side noises. Um, we are very focused on our target uh, to release my brothers. Um, <clears throat> The nights are the most difficult times, but through the day we are doing something and it helps move forward. Has the State Department or the Israeli government given you any information at all about your brothers? The last information we got was from uh, the released hostages uh, about six weeks ago. Uh, some of them saw my brothers, they were alive with minor injuries, uh, but alive. And this was six, six weeks ago. Uh, since then, we have no new information. We don't know if they are together, uh, how badly the injury got. We know they are not getting treated, not by the Red Cross, especially not by Hamas. They are keep, keeping them alive. Uh, this is what the release officers told us. But they are not doing more than this. So for six months, for six weeks, we have no new information. I know this must be so difficult on so many levels, but probably especially the not knowing. How are you dealing with that? Uh, we try not to think about what's going on there in the tunnels. Uh, we try not to think about their conditions. So we won't be able to do what we do with, with this in mind. Uh, we know that they are not getting enough food. We know they are not taking showers, no new clothes. Uh, it's winter in Israel. We don't know if they are cold. What kind of bed do they have? If they have a bed at all, they're not sleeping on the floor. Uh, but we try as much as possible to put all those things uh, to the side. 
the back of the head and and not think about it because it would be very difficult to move forward and try our best to, to stay optimistic and, and to and move forward and for a deal, for a new deal to, for the hostages release and keep our prayer up. Liron, I, I know this is so very difficult uh, for all of you. Uh, just please know that you're all in our prayers, and thank you for taking the time to speak with us. We appreciate thank it. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you very much. Now, the federal government is inching closer to a partial government shutdown next Friday, and tensions are rising. Lawmakers are still at odds over how to keep the government open. Republicans continue to demand border policy changes be a part of any foreign aid package. Capitol Hill correspondent Eric Rosales joins us now with the latest. Eric? Good evening, Tracy. The Senate has taken the first steps to pass yet another continuing resolution in the likely case that the dozen of government funding bills can't be passed by next Friday. That's when a partial government shutdown is set to take place. Republicans say that this rush to get it done is what Democrats want. This is exactly the way Joe Biden functions and Chuck Schumer function year after year is they want this last second chaos where they can control where the money's going. Um, I don't know what's going to happen up here. I, I think that we'll figure out something on the Senate side to keep the government open. I'm not sure I can vote for that. Democratic Senator John Fetterman tells me he can't understand why Congress can't do its business on time. Shutting down the government should ever, ever, ever be on the table. We should never be discussing, we shouldn't decide whether we should pay our bills. It's ridiculous. I mean, this is governance. This isn't entertainment or like a, a soap opera. Meanwhile, Senate Republicans are pressing their case that border policy changes have to happen now. So make no mistake about it. This is the most serious international situation we have faced since the Berlin Wall came down. We need to pass a supplemental. There needs to be a strong border provision part of it. The chief Senate negotiators in the border talks are also urging colleagues to get to a final deal. Both Democrats and Republicans have to compromise. Neither side is going to get everything that they want. I wish Republicans would choose to support Ukraine just because it's the right thing to do. This body has been allergic to working on how to be able to solve the border crisis. So for the last two and a half months, we've met in a bipartisan way to hammer out how do we solve this. Because it can't be ignored. House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries says time is running out. These extremists have made clear once again this week that they have no ideas, no agenda, no vision, and have made no progress. House Speaker Mike Johnson announced that he is sticking with the funding deal that he made with Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. That's sure to anger some Republican conservatives who've lobbied him to abandon that idea. They've been going in and out of his office all day today. There could be a lot more drama next week, and lawmakers tell me that a continuing resolution would likely last until sometime in March. At the Capitol, Eric Rosales, EWTN News Nightly. Well, as lawmakers deadlock over border funding and war spending, tensions are rising along the Rio Grande in Eagle Pass, Texas. There is an extraordinary standoff between Texas and the federal government. The Justice Department is now asking the Supreme Court to order Texas to stop blocking Border Patrol agents from accessing a 2.5-mile stretch 
of the southern border, the areas where large numbers of migrants have crossed in recent months. Now, the Biden administration's Department of Health and Human Services has revised a Trump-era conscious protection rule. Attorneys at Alliance Defending Freedom say HHS believes that it can force emergency room doctors to perform abortions, even if it is against their conscience and religious beliefs. This is a federal law that was enacted in the 1980s simply to make sure that hospitals don't turn away patients who can't afford to pay. In fact, Congress wrote into the law that the unborn child, and that's a quote, the unborn child must also be protected. Alliance Defending Freedom is representing the American Association of Pro-Life Obstetricians and Gynecologists, along with Christian Medical and Dental Association, involved in the lawsuit. The U.S. Supreme Court has decided to take up the case. A decision is expected in the next session. Uh, the state of Alabama is set to enforce its ban on so-called gender-affirming care for anyone under the age of 19. This after a federal court of appeals said the measure may take effect immediately. The state attorney general called the ruling a victory for children and for common sense. Opponents say that it hurts parents and children. Uh, we have a lot more still to come here on EWTN News Nightly, including high-stakes vote. Taiwan heads into a presidential election against the backdrop of aggression from China. We have analysis from Gordon Chang. And Pope Francis encourages students to share how Christ won their hearts. The Greek government's plans to legalize same-sex marriage received a boost. The left-wing opposition leader pledged his support to the center-right party's proposal. The Greek Orthodox Church is among those expressing concern about the measure. Our presidential and parliamentary elections are set for tomorrow in Taiwan, and they are taking place amid warnings from China. Beijing's Defense Department says its military is on high alert and ready to, quote, take all necessary measures if Taiwan proceeds with the purchase of fighter jets from the United States. Earlier this week, China's foreign ministry said tomorrow's elections are a choice between war and peace. Today, in the nation's capital, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken met with a senior Chinese official. A report in the Voice of America said Blinken requested that Beijing does not use the election to sow instability in the region. And for analysis, we turn now to Gordon Chang, author of the newly released book, China is Going to War. Gordon, always great to see you. So how serious do you think we should be taking China's threats against Taiwan? At the moment, I think that Beijing's threats are really sort of huff and puff. But the problem is that Xi Jinping's words are creating markers for his political enemies to enforce. And that means Xi Jinping could be talking China and himself into war. You know, it could be Taiwan, could be Philippines, could be Japan. But China is ramping up pressure on many of its neighbors. And so people in the region are worried that there will be a war, which could be Taiwan, but maybe someplace else. Gordon, do you think that these threats, though, could maybe, you know, impact this election anyway, maybe the way people vote or the outcome of it? Uh, definitely they will impact the election. We just don't know, Tracy. You know, Vice President William Lai of the governing Democratic Progressive Party was actually doing very poorly about three or four weeks ago. 
because the Taiwan electorate was for, was focusing on the poor governance of the DPP. But after China started ramping up war threats, people started thinking about the election in terms of China and their own identity as Taiwanese, not Chinese. And then William Lai then took a commanding lead. Now, in the run-up in these last few days, there are no polls that are permitted to be released. So we don't know what's going on. But we can be sure that as China has worked not only war threats, but also other threats, that maybe he is that China is helping the candidate it prefers, which is the Guomindang's Ho Yu Yi. And Gordon, we just mentioned uh, the Secretary of State meeting with an official from China. What do you make of that move? And do you think that will have any impact? Yeah, the Biden administration has continually warned Beijing not to interfere in Taiwan's election. And they did that, for instance, when Xi Jinping was in San Francisco on November 15th. But we know that China has interfered in this election, that it, interference efforts have increased as we get to the run-up of the election. And so well, there's been no cost from the Biden administration. There have been a lot of words but there really hasn't been any action. And so I think China thinks it has a free pass to try to vote in the Saturday election. And as we know, we know we'll find out in a few hours whether they've been effective or not. Yeah. And how important are these elections? Uh, and do you agree, Gordon, with people who say that they're a test of China's control over Taiwan? Well, they certainly are a test of Taiwan, of China's influence on the island. And they could be critically important because Xi Jinping, just apart from Taiwan, is under enormous pressure inside China itself, uh, partly because of the economy, but because of other reasons. His policies are failing. He could easily lash out at Taiwan. So it very well may not matter who gets elected on Saturday. Xi Jinping may decide that he needs a war anyway. And the question is going to be whether the Chinese military will obey his orders. He's been firing a lot of uh, flag officers recently, and we don't know exactly what's going on, but it doesn't look good, Tracy. Gordon, we have about a minute or so left, uh, but quickly, what else do you have your eye on? Well, I think the you know China has really been lashing out across the region. So, for instance, in the Philippines, at Second Thomas Shoal, um, Scarborough Shoal, and Whitson Reef, it's been engaging in very belligerent activities, and they've been ignoring warnings from the Biden administration, which means that deterrence is breaking down. Also, in the last week or so, China's been ramping up its rhetoric against Japan in the East China Sea at the islands the Japanese call the Senkakus and the Chinese call the Daoyus. So this is looking like China really is looking for a fight somewhere. Oh, Gordon, we're going to leave it right there. Always great to be with you. We really appreciate your insights. Thank you so much, Tracy. Up next on EWTN News Nightly, reaching for the top, a major milestone in the reconstruction of Notre Dame Cathedral. Plus, a look back at the life and legacy of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. through the eyes of his niece, pro-life advocate Alveda King.
Diocese around the country will celebrate Mass on Monday in honor of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., the civil rights leader whose National Day of Remembrance and Reflection is January 15th. In his message for MLK Jr. Day, Archbishop William Laurie of the Archdiocese of Baltimore wrote in part, quote, while the Christian pastor changed the course of the country for the better, the sin of racism sadly continues. The work of rooting evil out, adopting Dr. Keene's principles of nonviolent direct action and abiding by the principles of solidarity in our Catholic social teaching is up to all of us. And joining us now to talk more about the life and legacy of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. is Dr. Alveda King, chair of AFPI's Center for the American Dream. Ms. Alveda, so good to be with you today. Um, tell us your reflections of your uncle and his place in history and how you see it. I am literally on the fly as we're chatting, and this is the weekend always of the birthday of Martin Luther King Jr. being recognized, and then we've got March for Life Week as well. I believe if my uncle were here today, he would remind us how important it is in every generation to tell the truth. The dream is still alive, but we must remember it in every generation, in every decade, and on every platform. He said we must learn to live together as brothers and sisters. And I will add, uh, we just have to work together to love each other. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. And it's important when we value the human personality, we won't kill anybody. Those are just some of my uncle's words. I believe because racism is socially engineered, there's one blood and one human race. So if he, we take those words from my uncle. Learning to love and live together as brothers and sisters, we will not perish as fools. So I want to encourage everyone to fear not, to move ahead together if at all possible, and to keep hope alive. I'm literally on the fly, so I'm not going to be able to stay with you, but just stay together, try to be kind, and try to love others and serve humanity. Well, Dr. Alveda King, thank you so much. We really appreciate your time. God bless. Thank you. God bless you. About Francis. Pope Francis encourages students of a Catholic committee to share with one another how Christ won their hearts and laid hold of their lives. A superare pregiudizi. Superare pregiudizi. Addressing a committee for collaboration between Catholic and Orthodox churches, the Holy Father said that all communities share the same desire to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and to serve him. The Pope also expressed delight in greeting the group in the days leading to the week of prayer for Christian unity, which starts on January 18th. Oh, finally tonight, a major milestone in France for the construction of Notre Dame Cathedral. A ceremonial bouquet of flowers was lifted to the top of the new timber roof. The cathedral has made significant strides as it rebuilds from damage sustained during a 2019 fire. Notre Dame is set to reopen on December 8th of this year, the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. The head of the restoration project notes the new timber roof was made by hand in the exact same design as the original built more than eight years ago. Amazing.
Uh, we thank you for watching tonight. And remember, you can follow us on social media, Facebook, X, and Instagram at EWTN News Nightly. I'm Tracy Sable. Good night and God bless.